Hello and welcome to A Day Of, a podcast about Biffy Clyro. My name is Simon Dowling. Another episode in which I chat to a friend, therefore another disclaimer. Um, Unlike the recording with Rob, which just randomly stopped towards the end, my conversation here with Scott was littered with some eerie silences, possibly caused by my microphone cutting out. So I've managed to edit around them for the most part. We missed out on a few stories from Scott about interviews on the radio and things, but there are a few that survived. And there is one kind of abrupt conversation change, but I think it it worked fine. Again, nothing salacious has been edited. It's just that uh, remote recording is a little bit of a nightmare. But anyway, here's the episode. So I'm joined by Scott Brown, who is a veteran Biffy Clyro fan and was a fellow Biffy Clyro message board member um, back in the day. And the reason I've got Scott on to talk about this particular song is that Scott ran a campaign to get many of horror, open brackets, when we collide, close brackets, to number one to try and oust Matt Cardle from the top spot. And I guess pay respect to the original version as Matt was releasing When We Collide from the X Factor for Christmas number one. Um, so thanks for coming, Scott. And I'll start as I as I always do with, um, can you tell us a little bit about your Biffy Claro history and where your Biffy Claro journey started? Hi, Simon. Uh, thanks very much for having me on the podcast. I'm a big fan of the show. So it goes all the way back to 2002 for me. Um, I'm from Air, which is where Simon's from. I guess I can have that soft, not very strong <laughs> Scottish accent. Um, yeah, it gives it away. Yeah, in 2002, I was still at school and I was not listening to lots of cool music. I was listening to, I guess, at that time, stuff like Stereophonics, Sum 41. The Strokes were probably the coolest band I was listening to at that time. And um, I had a couple of good friends, uh, Paul and Martin, who were much more into cool music than I was. And I remember them talking in the summer of 2002 about this band called Biffy Clyro. They were from like the local area. And I was like, Biffy what? So I, I, the name didn't really like say anything to me. So the first opportunity that I got to hear them was on a train to an open university, uh, an open campus day in Glasgow. Um, and Paul had a copy of Black and Sky with him because like, we're listening to CDs in these days. And uh, it gave me the disc over and told me to put it in to my CD player and just hit play. And so, yeah, Joy Discovery Invention come on. And it's that, it's the get up, get up part, just when the three of them come in. And I was like, whoa, what is this? And then when it obviously gets to the, the distortion going on, I was just hooked. And um, on the train, I only had time to listen to the three songs, uh, Joy Discovery Invention, 2757 at Paul's recommendations. And I was just hooked from there on. And as it happened, uh, Biffy Clyde were playing uh, a show in air the next month, which was in a nightclub 
and it was an over 18 show and I'd only just turned 17. I, I looked more like 15, but I managed to fill the box office into thinking I was 18 and then fill the bouncer on the night. And yeah, that's uh, September, 2002, my first live experience. And uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's never gone away. I love Biffy Clyro. You're obviously a little bit of an earlier fan than I, but I must say, I, I feel I feel sad that you referred to Sum 41 as an uncool band. Because <laughs> um, I was almost, almost certainly still listening to Sum 41, probably in 2004 when I discovered Biffy Clyro. Um, yeah. And in, in fact, saw them on the same day at Sonosphere, uh, Sum 41. We're not quite as good as Biffy that day, but we're, we're just as exciting to see, you know, probably Excellent. nearly nearly 10 years after their prime, but yeah. If I had actually been more into Sum 41, I could have discovered Biffy Clyro earlier because they, Biffy supported Sum 41 at the Barras, I think, in 2001. And um, I didn't go partly because like, my parents weren't keen on the idea. I, I, I'm the firstborn, so my parents are like, massively overprotective. So I, I wasn't able to go and see Sum 41, but if I had, I may have discovered them even before Black and Sky came out uh, and before my cool friends did. Um, so yeah, if, if I'd been more serious a Sum 41 fan, I could have, yeah. Yeah, you could have, could have covered, dis- I get yeah. my words right, you could have discovered Biffy Clyro, well, yeah, so that was that late, just having a quick Google, that was 16th of November 2001. Wow. So nearly 20 years ago, oh. and you would have been the coolest kid in air, having heard of Biffy Clyro before all of your cool mates. So obviously you said you saw them for the first time in, in 2002. I believe you, like me, are someone who has seen them a ridiculous amount of times. Do you Can you recall how many times you've seen Biffy Clyro? I think it's around 36 or 7. And it depends if you count like in-store performances at like HMV and Virgin and stuff. Um, so I'm, I, I, I'm not great at keeping tickets. I try to, but I've lost some. But yeah, it's it's the high thirties somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I I certainly to get to my thirty five, I do count the do count the in stores, um, and, okay. and small small sessions because you know you're still in, you're still seeing Biffy Clyro even if it's only two or three songs. You know, yeah. some of the some of the best performances are those little little special ones. And um, so, what what's your favorite Biffy Clyro live experience? Oh, there's. There's so many to choose from. I w- I mean, just because I've been going to see them for so long and uh, like from 2003 onwards, I was a student um, and had the sort of freedom to go and see them as often as I could. Uh, probably, probably the first night of the King Tut's gigs in 2005, where they did the three album nights and then the, the fourth night was supposed to be the new album, and which eventually became Puzzle. I think that first night, because we knew we were in for a treat and we knew we had the four nights ahead of us. And I knew so many people in the audience because of the, the, um, the fan forum. Um, and I think there, there's, a, there's a magical moment that happened in the first song. Joy, Discovery, Invention is, I think, my favourite Biffy song. It was the first one I ever heard and I still think of it as being the ultimate Biffy experience. Not to say that they haven't done great work since then. Yeah. Um, but during that performance, the bit where there's the, the slight pause before they, they come back in, someone in the audience timed it perfectly, shouted, Mon the Biffy, and the whole place just erupted because, like, yeah, it was just, it was so well-timed that he got that in, the, the pause where you know, Ben stops the cymbals and uh, Simon and James lean off the distortion for a second. And 
Yeah, so that that night sticks out in my mind, and um, that whole week does. But I think that's probably my favourite live experience. But there's been there's been so many, and even seeing them last year in Dundee, um, where I live now, I hadn't seen them live for a few years, partly because I was living in America, um, and just to see them again, and like it still has that same feeling that it did that it's had for years on me. So yeah, it's it's really hard to choose a single favourite. Okay. Yeah, I, I really wish I'd gone to that that Dundee show like late last year. I mean, not only because of the not knowing it probably would have been the last chance to see them for a while, thanks to you know the coronavirus yeah. issue, as I'll, as I'll call it. Um, but I mean, just off the back of Balance Not Symmetry as well, which which had just come out, and I think I you know I, I that kind of reignited a flame for me, and knowing yeah. that they were going to play some of the songs from that live, I, I'm you know a bit bit gutted that I didn't see that that very small set of shows that were on the kind of balance not symmetry cycle because obviously by the time kind of 2021 if not 2022 comes around and they get to perform they're gonna you know relish the opportunity to perform a frankly you know brilliant new album but you know it, it's such a shame that that you know I've kind of missed that that cycle yeah, just by uh, not not pulling the trigger and going going up yeah. to Dundee that's a shame because they did, yeah, they did play quite a bit from Balance Not Symmetry and it was excellent. And they opened with Balance Not Symmetry, but I think the highlight for me was Fever Dream, which was already oh, yeah. my favorite track. But the way they did it live, it was just so powerful. Um, that I mean, I think that was the standout moment of the night for me when they. But, I mean, I've, well, I guess I, I should I should say I, I have forgotten to say Merry Christmas because oh yeah, Merry Christmas. <laughs> it is. It is. Technically, Christmas Day when people are hearing this, but we'll we'll not let them in behind closed doors. And how early we we are recording this episode? <laughs> yeah. But I mean, my Christmas tree's up in my house, so you know I'm in I'm in the Christmassy mood. Based on the back of Matt Cardle covering many of horror and and renaming it when we collide, um, of which there are many stories about whether it was his choice. I've heard I've heard differing things that you know obviously he was a cool dude who fronted a band and. Um, got into many a dispute with with I think is it is it Psycho um, Simon yeah. Cowell's company about whether he was allowed to continue singing songs from that band or even perform with that band. I think there's a, a famous story about him having to cancel singing at his uh, like his sister's wedding or something because his voice was essentially now oh. owned by Psycho. Um, oh. And you know he, he was very disheartened by the whole affair. So I've heard a, a mixture of things about whether he chose many of horror as his song versus him also absolutely hating the song. Um, but I don't know whether that came afterwards. Mm. Um, but you, um, obviously I guess it was off the back of, uh, rage against the machine and then the cage against the machine. There was, it was that kind of hotbed of time when starting a Facebook campaign to get an alternate non X factor song to Christmas. Number one, was was basically the coolest thing you could do in the run up to Christmas. You chose you chose to you know rather rightly get many of horror to number one, which had already been a single, so it was a relatively easy sell. How how was the process of kind of starting that campaign? That that was kind of like the the thing, the fact that it'd been a single earlier that year and hadn't performed that relatively well in the charts, and it seemed to me sort of like an injustice that he was now going to you know, waltz into the number one slot when the original artists were still very much a going concern and had it as a single. But it came off the back of when he, like, 
when he selected that song because I think I think I was actually watching X Factor like I wasn't like a massive fan of the show or anything but it was sort of like you know before we have kids and you've got all this time in your hands and you can watch TV and stuff um I remember like him selecting the song and sort of like my Facebook blowing up and um it was actually a response to a Facebook post by Mike Log, who was the bassist in Suture Pero and used to dress up as the Duke from Marmaduke Duke for their live shows. Yeah, yeah. He posted saying like Matt Cardo for Christmas number one. And I replied and said, no, no, Biffy Clyro for Christmas number one. And his response was, well, you set up a Facebook page for it then. Uh, so I went, all right, I will. And uh, I didn't expect it to go anywhere. I thought it'd be kind of like a thing for a few friends and stuff. But for whatever reason, it took off even before he won like the finals night and that was going to be the single like um but then after he did win um there was like a massive explosion of the page and i, I guess there was probably people looking for something like that because like you said it was now a trend um so i guess people were primed for like there's going to be like a counter campaign here um and i i, I don't know if i was even the first page but i guess just because so many of my friends were Biffy Claro fans. A lot of people like clicked like and shared it really quickly. Uh, so yeah, and it wasn't really sort of like, you know, I hate X Factor sort of thing. It was more just like, like you said, it's about the original artists. Biffy Claro are my favorite band. They have had a huge impact in my life. A story I like to tell is that um, I probably wouldn't have married the woman that I have married if it wasn't for going to that Biffy Clyro show in 2002. I like telling my kids they wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Biffy Clyro. Um, <laughs> so, you yes, know, yes, I, your, your children, Biffy and Clyro. <laughs> yeah, they, well, they should have been. Uh, if I could have got away with that, that would have been uh, probably the, the choice. But no, so I just wanted to do something like that was kind of like, you know, these are, these are, this is like one of the hardest working bands. It's been a single, they've had some good chart performances with like Mountains, but that's fine, it's like, you know, but people could give credit to the original artist at the same time as, as Matt Cardone. I remember we kind of did like a long post on the Facebook page because like, I think Mark, I think Matt Cardone initially said something about the page and he was like, oh, I know Biffy Clyro fans probably hate me and stuff. And I just kind of put a post saying, it's not, it's not about that. It's about like, we love Biffy Clyro and we want them to celebrate. And if, if the song is now getting the recognition that we think this band deserve anyway, then, you know, buy, buy their single. Um, so, and a lot, a lot of people didn't like that. Actually, I got a lot of people um, emailing me saying like, oh, you know, this is, this isn't, this is an anti X factor group. And I was like, well, that's like, I'm just running this with a couple of friends from the board. Um, like if you want to do your own anti-X Factor group, that's fine. Like you can do that, but this isn't what I want to do. Um, yeah, and it was it was strange. It was strange how much of a reaction I think it got in terms of like I had people like emailing me threats like for going against Matt Cardle and stuff. It was really strange because um, we set up an email address for it for like um, press contacts and there was I mean most I've got to say most people were very positive about it and stuff, but there were some like really bizarre like threats saying like take down your page like Matt deserves number one uh, I, I'm inclined to think those people were just like trolls who would do that to anyone I can't imagine like there's x-factor fans who invest themselves so much in Matt Cardle in the space of watching him on tv for like five weeks or whatever that suddenly like care about him that much to threaten a stranger online but it was just that was kind of like the bizarre side of it but yeah the, the page was just really 
I wanted to see my favorite band get recognition for the song they wrote and released earlier that year. Yeah, I mean, it it, it did very successfully. I think I I was, try, I was trying to remember the other because obviously, like I say, it was off the back of the Rage Against the Machine stuff. There were there were a few other, you know, let's knock the X Factor off Christmas. Yeah, I think um, the bird is the word, the serpent bird right. song, which yep. I think was a Family Guy thing, perhaps. Yeah. Um, yeah. which I think they, they sadly they did better than Biffy didn't they they did the final they, shot the, yeah the person running that page actually contacted me and asked me to stop the campaign and like throw my support behind the, <laughs> that song and like, like it was like, <laughs> well, like it they, was they political start, <laughs> yeah they were kind of like saying like we're the best place ones to defeat Matt Cardo so get your people to buy our song and I was like no, like, yeah. and as I said to him, it's like, this isn't, for me, it's about promoting Biffy Clyro. It's not about, like, ultimately, like, and I don't, I don't want, like, a, a stupid song, like, okay, like, nobody, nobody loves that song, right? Except, like, ironically, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, I don't really care how that does in the charts. Like, to me, it's, it's immaterial. Like, I wouldn't be, like, going, yes, I'm glad that's number one and not Matt Cardo, because ultimately, Matt Cardo still got a, a song written by Simon Neal to number one in the charts. And I think, was it eighth? I should have probably looked this before I did. No, it was, it. yeah. It did. It, it, uh, because, it, yeah, it climbed. I think it, in the midweek charts, it was seventh, but then okay. ended up ended up yeah. at eighth, which, I mean, is, is is impressive. I don't think it was... I think Mountains had beaten it yeah, in the charts. Yeah, it was fifth. Yeah. yeah was, but I mean, yeah. but that's, that's all about timing, isn't it? To, to, you know, that was fifth as a standalone single, I think, like, early summer where yeah. you probably you know they'll have deliberately chosen a week to go to not go up against big hitters in yeah. order to kind of hit the charts and get most the more radio play but yeah to get a biffy clara song to number eight in christmas week you know up against well frankly a very good matt Cardle song because it was a biffy clara <laughs> song and then yeah. and then also you know um the same kind of you know trolls buying surf and bird that you know ultimately probably have you know got donald trump elected <laughs> there's probably a straight line <laughs> straight line between those sorts of people um but yeah i mean you did some great work with the page obviously getting i think it was you know tens of thousands of sales if not hundreds of thousands of sales for biffy that week and then you know you promoted invisible children which was a, a charity that they supported and you know, like you said, you 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 kept it very positive. You you very much you know maintained the this is a boost to Biffy Clyro rather than you know a takedown of of X Factor. Uh, you know, it's good to see that the page is still there and it still has thirty eight thousand likes. And I don't know whether that's oh, does it? you know, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know when you last logged in and checked it. Um, uh, but, you know, yeah, a couple of years ago. Um, oh. Not long after the thing ended, people were trying to buy the page from me because, like, they saw it as like an advertising opportunity. And I think, yeah, oh yeah, you can rebrand it. Yeah, we're offered several thousand dollars for it, and I was like, I'm not not doing this to make money. We probably should discuss the song a, a little bit, but another little thing that I was completely unaware of is that this um, that many of horror was on the soundtrack to Transformers: Dark of the Moon. Yeah, um, I only found that out as well when I was. Uh, like looking up the song again and trying yeah. to find out some history. That yeah, I, I had no idea. I saw the first Transformers movie and then none of them after that. I, uh, yeah, I, the, the only time I've seen the first Transformers film was in um, uh, at about two o'clock in the morning in a pizza shop in Leeds called Sim <laughs> called Simpsons Pizza. Um, 
when uh, I went in to get to get a pizza and then sat down and they had Transformers on the telly and we thought, well, we'll just sit and watch watch Transformers. <laughs> there was no, there was no sound; it was just subtitles. Um, you did two miss two, much. two stars, five stars for the pizza, <laughs> but two stars for the film. I think. <laughs> Um, um, so, I mean, the, the song itself, um, do you, like Only Revolutions is, the, the, you know, the album that I'm covering at the minute. And I kind of personally, and I've kind of, I've said this in a few of the, the episodes that um, Only Revolutions was on the cusp of me, I guess, kind of trying to pretend that I wasn't a Biffy Clyro fan anymore. Um, <laughs> and, and, but I definitely was, you know, I was still buying every single and still going to every show I possibly could. And then, you know, like you throwing a bit of weight behind the, you know, behind Biffy for, for Christmas number one. Um, and subsequently by listening to the record over and over again, over the last few weeks have been proven completely wrong. And, uh, and, you know, I, I really, really love only revolutions. And I think I always have, I was just denying myself, you know, <laughs> starving myself of, of only revolutions, but you are kind of, you like, obviously we've, you know, been friends on social media for years and years, and you've kind of never ever let up your your love for for Biffy Clyro. I think, um, yeah, you know, you've always been passionate. We've, you know, we've been discussing the merch that we're still buying today. Um, yeah. you know, and, and making sure we get everything. So, around 2010, like, what was your reaction to to Only Revolutions, and particularly, you know, Many of Horror? I remember, um, I remember hearing that Golden Rule. Um, on Zane Lowe's show, I think was the first track they played, and um, I, I, it's kind of weirdly. I, I remember the first listen; I wasn't that impressed by it, which now seems like really bizarre because I love that Golden Rule, and I, I don't know what I was thinking with that. And when I got the album, um, I, I would say I, I liked about half the songs, and then half not. But it was. I remember thinking like I didn't really like the production of a lot of the songs. And then whenever I saw them live next or for what on that tour, um, I remember just being blown away by the live versions of the songs, even like The Captain, um, which I really love now. Um, and the live version being so much more in your face. Um, and but I do remember many of horror. And I remember being in the car with my friend Paul, who introduced me to Biffy Clyro, because we were in a band together. And uh, I remember listening uh, to that when we were driving to practice and Paul saying, like, listen to the guitar of Many Horror. And like, we put it back to the beginning and he was like, that's such a beautiful tone. And like, just kind of listening to the song um, over and over. And like, it really did feel like one of those songs that could be like a massive hit for them. We kind of like discussed that in terms of like, potential singles um, and so on. So I, I really do like Only Revolutions. Um, and the, well, it depends, like, how do you pronounce it? Is it, is it horses or is it horses? Well, I, it? I always just say horses. Yeah, you know, okay, okay. To, to, to rhyme with the, the animal itself. Yeah, okay, that's fine. I don't feel like an idiot saying horses then. Yeah. That, for me, that is the best track on the album. Um, although I've got like obviously a, a huge sort of like personal emotional connection with many of horror now, that for me that's the standout track. In the same way, I think, um, I think, oh, I think it's underrated, and I think the same for uh, Pause It and Turn it Up on Infinity I think, I think their album closers are so good and have consistently been great for a long time. Um, but I, yeah, so I really do love that. And yeah, like yourself, I listened to the whole album in preparation for this 
for probably for the first time, um, at least since last year, I did listen to everything religiously before the Dundee show last year. So it's maybe the first time in almost a year since I listened to only Revolutions all the way through. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, such a, it's such a strong album. Uh, so many, so many excellent moments. Yeah, I mean, I think I've said on a, on a few episodes that kind of as I get further away from the release of the albums, my like love for the album increases. Um, yeah. You know, definitely my, my reactions at the time weren't as weren't as as kind of passionate. Um, particularly with an album like Only Revolutions, when I first heard Garden Satan, I was like, oh, this is no machines, which in itself <laughs> is is no breather, which you know is just a stupid way to look at songs and also kind of a stupid way to to judge someone's songwriting when you know a song like god and satan is just as good as those other songs you know it just it, they just happen to be simple acoustic songs but you know yeah god and satan happens to be now in my head like a level above um i mean the song itself many of horror i think I never disliked. It was never one of the one of the songs on the album that I well I say disliked, pretended to dislike. Um, I you know I always really liked it, and it's I think it's funny they've just released the behind the scenes video for the um, the orchestral version of Space, and it's funny that Simon in that video says that Space reminds him of like when he was writing it that it sounds like a Disney song, because I've kind of always thought that about many of horror like I've always thought of it as like it's such a strong and well-written and simple catchy ballad that it sounds like it was written by like one of those kind of Disney standard songwriters where it's yeah. like right we need, we need to write a song that's got a it's got a hook and it's got really simple to sing lyrics and it's easy to sing along to that will get stuck in your head and stay there for like as long as it possibly can which is you know how you write songs for for films um yeah. And it, you know, it doesn't surprise me that years down the line, the, an album, although it, you know, it wasn't necessarily explicitly written for a film. You know that that Simon did eventually turn his turn his hand to to writing a soundtrack. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the song itself is probably it's very easy to pass, and that it's it's quite a simple love song. Um, it, you know, we're not you're not bashing your head against the wall like you are with with si some of Simon's Simon's other lyrics. Although I still have no idea who Gilligan is, um, with with reference to the line of "I've got Gilligan's eyes," but um, I mean, with obviously you said you've got I've got a more passionate relationship with the song because of the campaign. But this this song itself, like, what does what do you think the song like? Kind of what does it mean to you versus what it, what the song itself means? Sorry to put you on the spot like that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's it's very much kind of like. Yeah, it's, it's not one of, like you say, it's not like one of these harder sort of songs to work out. Um, but I think it's still, he's still quite clearly using metaphors. He's not talking about like a physically abusive relationship um, in that sense. And for me, um, the kind of the connection I have with it in this sense is that I got married in 2011. Um, and this, so I, all this was happening when we knew we had the wedding in front of us and you know you're thinking about spending your life with somebody um and it, it, it kind of has that like although there's the, like the darkness there for them there's still like this sort of optimistic uh, future to look forward to that's not like the relationship i have with my wife we don't have that sort of uh the, the sort of like the, the chaos side to um to it but yeah so uh, for for me it kind of like reminds me of a very specific time in my life i was doing my phd 
uh, and um, that wasn't going great at the time. Um, but you know, my wife was sticking by me. She really supported me and believed in me um, through my PhD. Eventually, get out the other side. Even though, like, it was it was originally I was supposed to finish before we get married, and it took like another two years after that um, to get there. So yeah, it always reminds me of that year um, going in from you know sort of like end of 2010 right through 2011 to our wedding and stuff and we had biffy songs played at our wedding we didn't i don't think we had many of horror um, actually i don't think that was one of them just because of the sort of the dark lyrics and the, the allusion to violence there so yeah but yeah it, it, it strongly it strongly takes me back to that time in my life um and you know you'll know yourself like once you have kids the your relationship with your partner changes like and that's that's inevitable once you get more people that are part of your your life there um but like you know that that does take me back to a time when it was just the two of us um and i'm i'm usually really bad at remembering specific sort of like events and stuff and particularly because i went to glasgow uni for so long doing my undergraduate masters and phd i sometimes find it hard to find a reference point for when certain things happened in life. Yeah. But I think many of horror really helps me place that again. And like, just like makes me think of the end of 2010 and then 2011, which was such a massive year in my life. Yeah. I mean, you know, music is, you know, it's not quite smell, but it's an incredibly evocative tool. Um, I mean, I, I'm the same. I think, I think thanks to kind of your efforts um, with with taking it to Christmas number one, it became such a focus of my kind of life in in 2010 that you know it it did a similar thing to me. You know, me and my now wife, but then girlfriend, just moved in with each other around the end of 2010. So it was kind of it, it does the same thing to me. It, it's this little kind of stick stuck in 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 the history of like my relationship with with Dawn that has kind of will always be there. Um, and that that is partly thanks to you because I think you know it come out nearly a year before, but it became so much of a focus of the back end of of mm. twenty ten that it was like um, you know because I think the Christmas number one might have been announced on my birthday as well because my birthday is the eighteenth. Ah, okay. It tends tends to be around the time that Christmas number one happened, so I kind of got this nice like very like fond memory of like listening to if he get to number eight and then you know. Being also kind of similarly being proud of Matt Cardle. For some reason, it did end up taking out quite a lot of my week. <laughs> yeah. Like, just like, um, because, like, yeah, uh, STV wanted me to go on the train to Glasgow and do like an interview in HMV, like standing in front of copies of Matt Cardle's CD. And I, I said, I, th I think it was a CD. Do they still print them in that? Yeah, it was. But yeah. Anyway, they, want, they wanted me to go and stand in front of the charts. And I was like, nah, I, I have no inclination to be on TV. Ever. I have a face for radio. Um, so, yeah, but I ended up doing like quite a few um, various like things and like I think it was like written up in the local newspapers and stuff. But it just turned out to be a really fun week because a lot of the time was actually just chatting to Biffy fans over Facebook who were sending messages and like uh, just being like, oh, I've loved Biffy for years and stuff. And um, it led to me talking to people who I had known from like just going to live shows back in the day, but hadn't heard from um, in a couple of years and stuff. So yeah, it was really nice in that respect. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of having a similar experience by like doing this doing this podcast, like reconnected with with people who 
you know hadn't necessarily spoken to for years since maybe you know maybe since the since the biffy boards died yeah, um sure. and and you know it's it's been really good and you know I, I guess it's very easy to to give my time to it because it's something that i'm so so passionate about which i guess is probably something that you felt at the time like I would have relished a week out of my life to talk about Biffy Clyro on yeah, the radio. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I'll I'll take any opportunity to talk about Biffy Clyro to the point where I've now had to kind of focus my efforts into a microphone so that people don't get sick of me talking about <laughs> Biffy Clyro. I mean, it's kind of it's easier for me to come on a podcast and like praise the podcast and its host. But I have really enjoyed listening to it because like your yeah your interest in the band is so evident and i've even learned stuff like some of the trivia you've dug up or or was already in your brain like stuff i didn't actually know and i'm like oh that's cool so um it's been it's been really fun to listen to as well yeah i mean i think i've i've kind of i've always been a bit of like i have i have no practical applications for for my brain really i'm i'm really good at like quizzing i can do i can do quizzes <laughs> for us. like i have so much useless information in my head that I'm keeping there for you know essentially the Biffy Clever information is is there until I can finally apply for mastermind and do, and do <laughs> Biffy Clever. Um yeah. I did I did apply and my wife uh, said to me the band find out they're going to think you're a stalker. And I was <laughs> like well you know I'm, I'm I'm just doing a podcast and then if mastermind comes back then yes I'll apply for mastermind. They're not going to yeah. think I'm a stalker they're, they're going to think I'm a fan and hopefully yeah. be be appreciative of the of my passion. For the yeah. band, but yeah. yeah, I'm always worried about coming across as a stalker, um, because yeah, I think and like I do, I I do stay engaged like with Biffy Clyro in, in terms of like I'm a super fan and stuff, but because I'm from here and I, I do have some mutual friends with the band, yeah, yeah. So I've had opportunities to meet them out of like not when they're playing at gigs, and I think I always play it like overly cool. Because I don't want to be like if I if I, I think I feel like if I even start going, you're amazing, it'll never stop. So I was actually I was at a mutual friend's birthday party with Simon and I hadn't seen him, I hadn't met him outside of that context for a few years. So somebody was reintroducing me to him and I was just like, Oh yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with your work. <laughs> like, at least you, at least you didn't go down the route of pretending you didn't know who he was. Yeah. <laughs> like, that would be the other yeah. the other option. But no, he's, I mean, th that's the thing is like, they're always so nice as well. Like um, anytime I've met them outside the context um, of, of them being like, you know, when they're on duty and they're doing their sort of like uh, meeting fans outside of gigs, anytime I've had the chance to speak to them, uh, they've always been really nice. And like um, Simon, we ended up talking about like me living in America and Simon could actually remember how many times they'd been to Atlanta and the venue that they played, because they'd only been once, but it was years ago. And like, he remembered the specific name of the venue, which I found really interesting. Cause I would have thought like somebody who tours as much as he does would just like wake up in a city, play a show and go um, again. But I mean, yeah, he's, he's really interested to hear about other people's experiences and not just go, yeah, I'm Simon Neal from Biffy Clyro. Uh, so it's, it's, it's always really nice to talk to them. Because that whole thing about never meet your heroes does not apply with Biffy Clyro. I'll, I'll leave it there. Um, thanks very much for for coming on and, and talking about um, talking about many of horror and, and and talking about about Matt Cardle. I'll put. Um, I think actually when you talked about the um, the Joy Discovery Invention um, show, the recording from from King Tut's, it is 
it does surface on the internet from time to time, and I think there is still a recording somewhere. So I'll put that I'll pop that in the show notes so that you and and listeners can can revisit that perfectly cool. timed man the biffy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and Gaz, uh, Gaz Gary Black from the boards did tell me that he has got a copy. It's on an old laptop, and I'm to periodically remind him that he's promised to get it for us and upload it somewhere so we can hear it again. Yeah, I will. I'll have to. I mean, he's he's a fellow podcaster as well. He's got the Trampled Bat podcast yeah. still, I think, which he started when the Biffy board still existed. So that must be going for yeah, for a good good six or seven years or something. So yeah, I think possibly even longer. Um, yeah, I think it was well, going when I was still living in uh, Sterling. So that yeah, that's possibly even longer than that. Could be more than eight years. Yeah, well, I'll have to I'll have to reach out to him and try and get him on to, to talk about a song. Yeah, yeah, that'd be a good idea. But um, but thank you again for for coming. And, no, thanks. Uh, Talking to me about the song. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and Merry Christmas one last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to a day of. My name's Simon Dowling. You can follow on Twitter at a day off podcast, and you can email a day off podcast at gmail.com. And please leave reviews on iTunes or wherever if you fancy it. You can also send in voice notes at anchor.fm slash a day of, and you can also find links there to the podcast on all the different platforms. Again, thank you for listening.